Wrestling Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 64, the island edition from flying to the Bahamas to flying to Haiti and botched go-arounds coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation worms. Our first worms. What? Slither- <laughs> slithering. Yes, worms. That's uh, right, worms. Well, we know how slimy Carl can be. But from uh, slithering his way <laughs> all the way from Florida, Carl Valeri, welcome. Oh, well, gosh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm actually, I was thinking, when you said worm, of course, being a computer programmer, I was going somewhere else with that. Ah. I was thinking, ah, yes, a computer virus, a worm. So, you know, like malware, that type of thing. So, but I, I'm having some problems actually slithering tonight because it's, it's, it's freezing here. It's like 36 <laughs> degrees. Shut up. 36 right. degrees in Florida. I mean, we Florida. are so bundled up. Mm-hmm. They're shutting down schools. I mean, it, it's, it's pandemonium. That is outrageous. That is absolutely is. outrageous. Yeah. But I'll the be honest. The airplanes are cold. I, would, uh, I think I would rather be infected with malware than actual worms. So, uh, <laughs> it, yeah. Nevertheless, uh, welcome. Glad to have you here today. Nice. Our, uh, our next aviation worm all the way from her frigid um, ice quaking studio in Maryland. Welcome, Victoria. Yes, that is true. We've been having frost quakes. I haven't heard any today, but last night Wait. there were bangs and booms. Frost a what? Explain, explain that. What is frost a frost quake? Apparently, when water gets seeps into the wood and uh, freezes, it expands and it creates this booming sound. And um, I looked it up. It can happen in dirt. It can happen in wow. um, woods, which is what's happening in all our trees and our deck. And it sounded like last night I was so paranoid. I called my husband. I made him come home. I thought someone was like out there throwing snowballs at the windows. And it made me think of that scene in the Blair Witch where they're in their tent mm-hmm. and they hear the rocks being thrown outside. <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it. I was flipping out. <laughs> but it was wow. just the wood and the trees. So I was glad when Phew. I saw that we did have a deck in the morning. Oh, great. Yeah. Frostquake. See, you learn something every day. You learn stuff on this show. Yeah. Science. Not just aviation <laughs> stuff. Right. It's Science. Stuff. Wow. Frostquakes. I have never experienced one of those. Me either. I've never heard of it. And then it just happened, I think, because we had such a constant melting of all the snow we had. And then it just froze suddenly. So there was so much saturation mm-hmm. that it happened a lot. And a lot of friends in the area had them, too. So. Wow. Crazy. Well, we're glad you're safe. Uh, safe. Welcome. Yes, uh, our next aviation worm from uh, semi-frigid New England, mm-hmm. all the way from his studio in Massachusetts, Rick Felty. Uh, good day. Hello. 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 I th- probably I have the second coldest current temperature on this panel. I maybe, believe so. Maybe not. Maybe Victoria and I are similar. But um, yeah, it's it's been it's been 
weird. I mean, weird, cold today, very big windchills, but yesterday it was 50. I have a, a, a weather thing here that I, that I can look at, and it, it will report 24-hour uh, temperature change. And this morning, it was 40 degrees colder than it was yesterday. So oh, nice. weird. But, you know, welcome That's to the modern change. world. <laughs> so, But I'm great. Everything's fine. Polar and vortex. Just, yeah, there you go. Polar <laughs> vortex, baby. Yeah, I've been trying to learn about that. I've heard a bunch of stuff in the news, and I still haven't figured it all out. But right. I'm not the brightest uh, bulb in the box. So anyway, <laughs> uh, welcome. Glad to have you here. And uh, once again, uh, I'm Len Costa joining you from Chiberia, where it has been <laughs> frigidly cold. <laughs> Seriously, it was like minus 11 when I woke up yesterday, wow. and I, uh, I went outside. Actual to temperature, right? Yeah, that was yeah. the ambient temperature. Yes. Um, I don't even know what it was with the wind chill. They were reporting it was going to be, uh, you know, minus 40 to minus 50, some of the coldest wind chills in uh, upwards of 20 years. Um, it wasn't too bad, but, uh, you know, you go outside in that kind of temperature and you kind of lose your breath. You start coughing because your lungs and everything just kind of, it's it just freezes so fast. And, you know, so I've got, ice and stuff on my face and in my facial hair and beard and it's just a it's uh it's been it's been challenging it's been challenging I, I remember living in North Dakota it would get down to minus 37 minus 39 um but uh it, it's it poses some interesting challenges especially for flying and uh I'll tell you that um Personally, I think everything that below minus 10 feels the same. I mean, it's just friggin' cold. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much where we're at. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sean Moody actually won't be joining us today. He is uh, battling bronchitis. So um, send him your warm wishes of uh, get well soon, and hopefully he's, he's back on the show uh, with us next time. But uh, that'd, be, this- that'd be a great band name. Ba- battling, battling bronchitis. bronchitis. <laughs> battling bronchitis. <laughs> I don't know I like why. It. Yeah, yeah. I think it's not bad. It's yeah, not edgy, bad. edgy, congested yeah, kind of music. Bad. Anyway, move, so, moving along. So uh, four of us wow. are here, and this is episode number sixty-four. Let's do the pre-flight. And a couple of quick announcements before we get started. Uh, Carl, tell us about your announcement. Oh, yeah. Actually, just around the corner, uh, tomorrow, actually, once this uh, show comes out on the 15th, we're going to have the Sebring uh, U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. It's actually the U.S. or U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. It's not called the Sebring U.S. Sport Aviation Expo anymore, I think. It's going to be the, I think, yeah, it's the 10th anniversary this year. And there's some neat things that are happening. You know, the uh, Sport Cruiser has a new owner. Uh, It's a light sport aircraft, and it's going to be the neatest show i think because of the fact that they're going to have air shows they're going to have a lot of new vendors the light sport community is growing and this this is actually the place to go for light sport if you want to learn something if you want to go fly one you need to be there the other cool thing is say you can't make it to sebring florida which is like in the center part of the florida of florida uh, you can get there flying into orlando you can get there many different ways actually and uh so it's, it's very convenient the the actual show itself is going to be broadcast live. Uh, Sun and Fun Radio 
is going to be broadcasting this live, and I might there be there for one day. I'm going to try as hard as I can to get there. But if you want to listen to it, go to sunandfun.org. Uh, you can also go to liveatc.net slash SNF, and they're going to broadcast it live there. If that does change, of course, we'll, we'll shoot out some emails to tell you about it. But uh, it's going to be a neat show. It's going to be some really interesting uh, new products that are out there. And, of course... Uh, the other thing that I think is really cool about it is they're going to have a seaplane uh, base there, and they're going to have ex- uh, a whole bunch of different uh, expeditions and things go out there and fly, et cetera. And, and a lot of times I have these flyouts to like the Bahamas, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, we might learn a little bit about that today. But you know, everybody's going to be covering this. I think uh, it's, it's part of the industry where this is where aviation starts. It's small planes, uh, a lot less expensive than – then all the production aircraft, and finally, uh, things have been turning around for them. So I think uh, I think we're going to see some some uh, a great show and some great exhibits. Again, go to Sport Aviation Expo. We'll have links on uh, Stuck Mike Avcast. Very good, uh, Victoria. Your uh, announcement. My announcement is Victoria is going crazy because <laughs> this is just less than two months to uh, Women of Aviation Week. So I am calling all pilots who have ever been interested or even thinking about getting involved. Now is the time. You can do something small at the last minute. All that matters is that smiling women walk away and know that they're welcome at the airport. So check out womenofaviationweek.org or drop me a line and let's make an impact here. Women of Aviation Week, March 3rd through 9th, 2014. Coming up very soon. Yes. Time flies. This is the time of year where you get a little crazy, isn't it? I do. <laughs> it's all for a good cause. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You're a busy, busy woman. Busy woman. Uh, very good. Very good. Well, um, I received my, uh, my uh, one of two announcements today is I received a uh, note from one of our uh, listeners slash friends of the podcast. I've talked about him before. Ron Klutz. Uh, is a CFI out in Palo Alto, blogs over at rightseatflying.com, had his uh, Ron's very first student uh, just got his private pilot certificate. So congratulations to Ron on uh, your first uh, private private applicant uh, completing his certificate. And congratulations to uh, student, our new private pilot, Varun, um, kind of an interesting story. I was reading about it. I'll just provide the uh, the link on stuckmygavcast.com uh, uh, to to the story. But uh, Ron shares Varun's story, which is kind of interesting, as I mentioned, uh, in the respect that the first attempt of the practical exam, when they went out to go flying, they had an actual emergency um, on departure and had to return uh, to the airport and scrub the flight and reschedule and come back for another day. So, talk about uh, some potential stress there, having a real emergency on your on your check ride. But uh, an interesting story, like I said, over at rightseatflying.com. dot com. The name of the uh, the name of the blog post, if you're looking for it, is called "A New Pilot." Uh, posted on January 7th of 2014. So again, both congratulations to Varun for uh, your first uh, private pilot certificate and uh, to, or excuse me, to to Varun for your certificate and to Ron for your first private pilot uh, applicant. Also, uh, we've got our uh, VIP email list. I've talked about it many times, but 
members, our special VIP members, just the last couple of days, got access to some free swag that I kind of had laying around the house from our 50th anniversary party. And so I sent an email out to our to our VIP list uh, looking for folks that were interested in getting some stickers and magnets and flashlights that I had laying around and gave away. Uh, I only had nine actual to give away, but ended up getting uh, 11 people by the time I closed the doors and found some extra things to give out. But, uh, you know, like I said, being a VIP has its perks. If you want to join us on our VIP members list, not only will you receive some special offers that we only uh, send to our VIP members, but um, you know, you'll get all of our blog updates and podcast episodes and everything delivered straight to your email inbox. You can visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash VIP right now and submit your name and email address and you'll be instantly added to our list. So uh, before we get started and do talk about these fun topics, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Aviation Universe, Chicago's premier aviation emporium in Bensonville, Illinois. Uh, wonderful folks over there and uh, great products. In fact, I believe they're uh, going to be carrying our practical guide to winter flying in their store as well. Very exciting for Carl and I. You can uh, visit them, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash aviation universe. Now entering cruise flight. So as Carl alluded to a little bit to go, talking about um, some island flying, uh, we've got two island stories to share with you today. First being with, uh, you know, we've kind of talked about some international flying before, a little bit about Canada, a little bit about the Bahamas, but uh, Victoria actually got to um, her and her husband, and as I understand it, uh, Turbo the Flying Dog took Slick from Maryland all the way down to the Bahamas for the New Year's, and she's going to share that story with us. So take it away, Vic. I tell you what an excellent way to break in the New Year. Can you just imagine fireworks on the beach? I mean, oh, yeah. It was great. Um, I know I talked about the Bahamas several years ago when we first started uh, Stuck Mike, and you know, I just listed off the rules and said how excited I was to go, and wow, it took us a while to go, but I'm so glad we finally did. Do you guys have any specific questions do you want to ask before I just ramble? Well, how did you get over there? I mean, how did you plan this trip, et cetera, and what, what tools did you use? That's I'm really interested in that. Like, how did you get the paperwork together, et cetera? Okay. Well, um, AOPA actually has a pretty good list of the things you need. Uh, first off, to fly, uh, obviously, anytime you're going to need your passport, you need your pilot certificate, and it must state that you're English proficient. So a lot of people out there don't have that unless you get a new rating or something within the past I think that rule came up about three years ago, maybe. So make sure you, it says you're English proficient, have your medical certificate, and then you want a radio operator's permit. And then if it, the aircraft is like rented or not owned by you, you'll need a letter saying it's okay that you have that aircraft and that you didn't steal it. Uh, all these things you want to make sure you have in advance. Um, same with your custom sticker. Uh, these all take some time to get, so make sure you have everything in order. Uh, to bring the dog over, we actually had to have a pet permit, so that's something I applied for several months in advance as well. For um, experimental aircraft while you're crossing over, you want to make sure you have 12-inch registration marks. I also believe they have to be 2 inches wide as well. Ours were only 3 inches, so we had to put some big tape on there so they could see that. 
And uh, then you have to go through the whole EAPIS procedure, signing up online, telling when you're going to be crossing the border and complete your passenger manifest. And I've gotten a lot of questions on the EAPIS, and I looked, even though Bob filled it out, I went and looked at it myself, and it's pretty easy, and it's kind of cool that you can store all the people who you regularly fly with. So Bob and I are listed on there, and when he's setting up a new border crossing, all he has to do is click on the button that imports our information, and it'll pop in again. So our stuff was already there from when we went to Canada, and uh, there you have it. So it's a lot to remember, but it's actually not as scary as it is, as long as you keep that checklist in your head and uh, follow things accordingly. We had no issues at all, and it was a lot of fun. Another thing a lot of people ask about is safety equipment. Uh, we made sure we had some life vests aboard, and Turbo had his very own doggy life vest as well, and he had that on at all times because... Just in case we did have to ditch, I didn't want to have to worry about fiddling with him and getting it on him so he'd be able to just be out of the airplane right away with his on. Ours, we just kept nearby. We didn't wear it. We also, we didn't have room for a, a raft, which a lot of people rent over in Florida before they head over to the Bahamas. Now, that's not required depending on how far you fly. There's rules, um... I think the raft is required if you're not 200 feet, uh, 200 miles, sorry, within a shoreline. So that's when uh, a raft is required. And I think beyond 50 nautical miles was when a life vest is required. Mm -hmm. Do you think everybody should have a life vest, though, even though you're, you know, it's less than 50? I think. I would think even 10 miles out, it might be an idea. Yeah, we, we left and we were out over the ocean for 60 miles until we we went into the Abacos, the out islands there, and we hit Freeport, which is a pretty long island. So we were near Freeport for a while, and then um, then it was another maybe 100 or so, so miles from there to the Abacos. Now, we fly over Lake Erie all the time when we're heading to Michigan, and I guess it just never scares me that much. If it was a longer flight or a slower plane, I might be concerned because you are over water for that long. But being in the Bahamas, you see that clear blue water and you can see all the sandbars. And I was thinking about how shallow some of those areas are and how many little islands there are and sandbars that you could just land on and, you know, hope the iguanas don't get you. <laughs> So did you? Where did you come out of? Did you come out of like a West Palm, go to West End? Is that yep. how you did it? Yes, you have to make sure to leave, uh, um, enter into an airport of entry both times. So both in the Bahamas and in uh, wherever you're leaving from. So we left for from Fort Lauderdale Executive. Oh, and then you, and then where did you go into to stop? We went into Marsh Harbor in the Abacos. It was oh, okay. uh, Mike Yankee Alpha Mike. And then from there, we took a 40-minute ferry to Guanacay, which is beautiful. It has a five-mile-long beach. It's very wide, beautiful beach. And a lot of celebrities go there because it's hard to get to, so there's not many tourists. It was very relaxing. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful there. It's gorgeous. Did you? And you got to go on a boat and run around on the boat and stuff? You know, we were going to We I had all these plans, read a boat one day, spend another day snorkeling. But when I got there, I was so relaxed. And I'm not a person who can spend hours on a beach, but I just plopped myself on that beach. I had a book and I was fine. 
So it wasn't a very adventurous trip like we usually have, although the flying was quite adventurous and a lot of fun. That's awesome. You know, that's interesting because that that, uh, Guana Key there, I actually used to have a boat just north of there in Green Turtle Key. Oh, okay. Which is yep. just right up the up the alley there. Those are such gorgeous little islands, and um, I don't know if you notice this. Uh, I notice this. I fly over the Bahamas quite a bit, and uh, there's like, these little landing strips people have made, and uh, some have been overgrown. I don't know if you if you noticed any of those there while you're going over. Um, uh, but we didn't notice any. But there's um, there's a few islands that like there was an island that was a resort. Very small island. It was a resort with its own runway, and then a hurricane took it out, and they never bothered to redevelop it. So there's just that runway sitting out there. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then there's like probably a lot of heliports because there's a lot of little individual islands with just one big home on it. And there was so many planes. We were heading into Marsh Harbor, and there was at least five or six planes in the pattern when we were coming in. Wow. It was were they airliners or, or general aviation? Marsh Harbor actually has uh, several airlines a day going into there. Uh, that, I mean, it's a smaller airline, of course, but there was quite a few. I think there was a King Air behind us, and then when we left, there was a Bonanza taking off right after us. So it was a good mix. It was a very good mix on the ramp. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Did you, did you have conch chowder or conch Ooh, salad? Ooh, conch. Oh, I, I do not like seafood. So it was really hard. Well, and the funny thing is, this island only had like five restaurants, if that. And so we actually went to the grocery store and cooked at the house we rented a lot, which was really nice. So we didn't eat out much. I like doing that on vacation. I like going and to the local grocery store market and doing some cooking at home too. But I was kind of curious. You've flown a lot with Turbo before, but I would guess that this is probably one of the longest flights you've done with him, right? It was. Um, I was actually really concerned, but he's so accustomed to it. He was fine. Um, other than a little bit of loose stool from the stress, I, I think he did great. And we made sure we broke up the trip a lot. So when we left from Frederick, Maryland, we stopped in North Carolina let him do his business, and then we went on there from Florida. So we divided it into about, you know, two and a half, three-hour sessions. That's nice. On, yeah. On the way back, it was an hour from the Abacos to Fort Lauderdale. So we let him walk around then, and then we flew to St. Augustine. And then actually from there, we decided to just shoot it right back home because we had a great tailwind. So that was his longest flight yet, three and a half hours, and he was golden. He mm-hmm. knew just to fall asleep, and we'll get home eventually. So. That's cool because I was I was curious. You said it was a breeze, uh, you know, taking him through. But so you you had to apply for a permit. Um, you said you did it months in advance, but is it really required that you know that long in advance? You want to because this permit has to be mailed, and it has to be mailed with a, the permit fee, and then the permit's actually going to be mailed back to you. So you you fill out the application. And they're on Bahamas time, too. So things don't always go super fast like it does over (laughs) here. You know, they're on island time. (laughs) So I filled out mine. I think we sent it in two months prior. And I was getting really worried when we were a couple weeks out because I hadn't heard back from them. And we had called them and they didn't have any evidence of it anywhere. So it takes a while to get to the Bahamas, and it takes a while to get back. But once you get it back, there's going to be a sheet that says all the requirements about the um, like rabies shots and things like that you need. And then you need to bring the dog to the vet 
no more than 48 hours prior to arriving at the Bahamas. And they have to sign that doc, that paperwork saying that they have all the requirements and that the dog is healthy to make the trip and to be in the Bahamas. Cool. So, Victoria, question about Marsh Harbor. Now, you, you flew into Marsh Harbor. Now, did you leave your airplane there for the whole time? Yes, we did. Yeah. Were, were you concerned about security or anything? No, not really. There was so many people around and customs seemed pretty, you know, slick. The second they saw me with the dog, they took Turbo away from me. They said, well, hold on to him while you go and do customs because he has to clear customs first before I can walk him around anywhere. And they were waiting outside for me with the dog. So um, everything was fenced in. The FBO seemed like, you know, they had enough people there. I don't recall if it was 24 hours, but they don't do night VFR at the airport. So we weren't concerned at all. Right. And you know, if it got stolen, we're stuck in the Bahamas. It's <laughs> 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 terrible. Yeah. Now the so, fees might be of interest to you. Oh, tell us, tell us. Because, you know, it took us under an hour or just exactly an hour to get over there. And we only burn eight gallons per hour. So it cost us nothing essentially to fly to the Bahamas. And of course, going to the Bahamas, you know, you're going to be paying a pretty penny for food and board. So you always hear about them, right? They were trying to be super pilot friendly, but then recently they raised their rates. So what we ended up paying, at least at Marsh Harbor, there's a $25 per person departure tax. So that was $50 right there for us. And then there's the $50 government tax. So now we're up to a hundred dollars. Then we had $10 a night parking and then a $5 service charge, which Bob actually calls the fee for collecting the fee. And then there was a, a facility fee, which was about $12. So we were at like 160 bucks, um, which they don't make you pay until you leave. So it's a total buzzkill after such a lovely trip having to fork over that money. <laughs> That's pretty normal, though. You know, international departure taxes and fees, even even for pa- airline passengers. So some of yeah. those, uh, some of those, you would have paid anyway, no matter it what. It wasn't horrendous, but I, yeah. I know we didn't pay that much in Canada. But no. it's the islands, you know, you're going to be expecting it, and it's just general aviation is a much better way to experience it anyway. So mm-hmm. it was worth it. So you're going to go back? Oh, I would love to go back. Yeah, that's Definitely. awesome. I- now you said that Turbo went through customs, and uh, did he have anything to declare, or did you uh, <laughs> did you just pass on through? Would you just ball print for a signature? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really That's, wanted them to like stamp something, you know, for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get him a passport, right? A doggy passport. Well, they, was... they stamped the permit, so I guess I have that to hold on to. <laughs> you should memorabilia, cool. yeah. <laughs> We have awesome. everything else. You have a dog book. You have a doggy life jacket. You don't have a dog passport. I, you know what? I, I really need to get on it. But, you know, besides beyond like Canada and the Bahamas, taking in animal places is a lot of work. There's something called an international pet certificate that I actually got the vet to sign just to be safe in case the Bahamas turned out to be pickier than I thought. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes into making sure your dog's safe to go places. And then there's quarantine issues you have to deal with. So the Bahamas don't quarantine animals that are from the U.S. or Canada. But I know Hawaii does quarantine yeah. animals. Really? And if you're going overseas. Yeah, I think Hawaii has a six-month quarantine for animals coming over there. 
Yikes. So that's something you definitely want to look into before traveling with your pet. So around the U.S., you're fine. Canada's fine. Bahamas is fine. It just takes an extra step. Um, but beyond that, you definitely want to look at what you're getting yourself into. Because the vet was worried if we didn't have something right, that they wouldn't let the dog leave or, you know, go beyond the airport so that your dog would be stuck somewhere, essentially. But they do not quarantine animals in the Bahamas that are well, from Canada and the U.S. I venture to say that it's probably not too big of a deal in Hawaii, considering most general aviation pilots, uh, unless they have the means for something that can make that kind of a water crossing, yeah. won't necessarily be flying from the West Coast to to Hawaii in that capacity. But still a good bit of knowledge to know if you are taking yeah. your pet uh, on an airliner. You'll, you'll have to be without your... Your beloved fur baby for six months. I know. I, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, I, I was going to say, what would day. you do? What would you do? I I, I would visit. The, well, there. You, would, you wouldn't go, would you? I wouldn't. No, <sighs> I wouldn't bring my pet somewhere that. <laughs> hey, guess what, Turbo? We're going on vacation. I'll see you in six months. Yeah. No, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I'm such a dog mom. Dog mom. <laughs> <laughs> So, Victoria, I have another quick question. When yeah. you got into the Abacos, now you got this permit to go in. Could you go to any other island? Like if you want to just like do touch and go somewhere, could, could you do that? Yes. Once you, you, you first, when you first land, you have to go to an airport of entry. But from there, you're free to go anywhere you want. You don't have to do customs and stuff again. So do you get a permit for that or, or do you no. need like, a cruise so, permit or something? I really have no idea how they're going to be t- able to tell if you came from somewhere else. I mean, mm. you, you, we do, we did register when we came in and clearing customs. So I, I have no idea how they'd be able to tell you can go anywhere after that. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Oh, uh, never mind. Bob just corrected me. He said you need a cruising. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. So I have no idea how to get that. <laughs> we stayed at the one island. So. Yeah. So and and the to get do you know how much does Bob know how much that is to get like a cruise permit? I am assuming again it's the Bahamas. There's got to be another fee for that. I would assume. He's coming to the mic. He's twenty five dollars. He thinks. Oh, that's not bad. You get that at the FBO. Customs. Customs. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I guess you know what we should put links for all this stuff on on Stuck Mike after yeah. this episode. This is pretty yeah, pretty absolutely. cool stuff. Yeah, as I said, just look at your checklist of things that you need, and it, it's pretty simple. I mean, everything was pretty uh, harmless when we went in. Everyone was happy to see us and mm-hmm. happy to see us go, and <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of fun. So did you have your Bahamas Goombe smash? Did you have some interesting drinks? Um, I had on Guana K, I had a Guana Grabber. And it's a very, very sweet, fruity drink. It was the sweetest thing ever. And it it made me pretty tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. So that, that was my, my drink of choice when we were down there. It was quite sweet and quite good. So, But, you know, it's, it's relaxing. And the view was just amazing. Yeah, we should provide, because I also know that you... How many... You, you blogged about this on... Uh, Mm-hmm. On uh, your blog, I think it was you're up to four parts now. But is that the complete story? There's four parts. Oh, technically five, because then I talk about traveling with Turbo, and okay. a new post is going to go up that links to all the photos we took. And I think I'll shut up after that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely uh, compile all those too and include them in the show notes for this episode. But um, 
you know, speaking of island flying, it's my understanding that uh, Carl recently almost got left behind mm. in Haiti. Yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, I, I did get to enjoy the Bahamas view from above as I was passing to the south. I, I flew for work uh, from New York down to uh, Port-au-Prince in Haiti, and it quite, isn't quite the experience like flying into the Bahamas. Uh, you know, Haiti is a much, much different uh, country, but it's actually right at the end of the island chain. You have, you know, the Bahamas and the Turks and Caicos, and then uh, you just head south, and of course, to your right's uh, Cuba. And then just south of that is Hispaniola. Now, Hispaniola is that island that comprises both the Dominican to the east and Haiti on the west side. And it was it was quite – this is the first time ever I've flown into to Haiti. So this was kind of cool because it's a, a brand-new experience for me. And what was really neat is that the person I was flying with – had actually flown C-17s in there uh, during the uprising in Haiti. So he was showing me around. We, When we went down up the top of the island, there's a place called Capation, and that's uh, the top of Haiti. When you go in there, they don't. their radar doesn't work very well. Um, their electricity doesn't work very well in general, and it's a very weak radar. So when you, when you leave the Turks and Caicos, when you leave uh, Miami, and speaking with Miami Center, et cetera, you actually – you you're not in radar contact and you just you start doing all your reporting just like when you're over the ocean you have to do reporting but it's odd because you're over land and you're you're doing reporting points and and as we came in the there's a big bay uh, and if, if we get a chance maybe we could show a picture of of Haiti it's like a big this big mouth that opens up towards the west and there's the Port-au-Prince there's the Port-au-Prince bay and there's these really pretty islands and and it looks really interesting but one thing i noticed is that the the terrain is first it's high so you have to be really careful and you're going into this big valley which is within the bay but also there's no vegetation and the the captain was explaining to me that years ago they cut down all the trees of course for paper etc but they never replanted you know like we replant trees so it's like it's like a desert, all these mountains, and there's there's hardly any vegetation down there. And as you're coming into this this narrow valley to land, you I I didn't realize how poor it uh, the people are there in in, in Port-au-Prince. It's just there's one uh, hut rooftop next to another, next to another. As far as the eye could see, it was just just absolutely phenomenal, and um, and the water. I've never seen water this color. There's, there's, there's all sorts of runoff into the bay that, and it was just, it was, it was an odd, like a, a murkyish gray black type of water. So there, there's a lot of, um, a lot of pollution, obviously. And now, what's interesting is people ask, you know, why would people go down to Haiti? Well, there, there's actually a lot of money down there, especially there's a lot of oil, oil business down there, but. Um, you know, there's the haves and the have-nots, and there's a huge distance between the two. So mainly the people that, that do fly in from what I could see from the passengers were uh, people, obviously, that live there that are going back and forth to the U.S., but also uh, a lot of people that are going down to help out uh, with aid from, you know, they're still recovering from that earthquake. And they have maybe, oh gosh, a quarter of our plane going down and about half going out was was going to be full of, of aid workers. Well, 
I know you've probably heard this in the news that we went to this the new FAR one seventeen rules, the new rest rules, and uh, we were able to get down there, but we couldn't get back because of so many delays due to the weather in the New York area. So we had to cancel our flight coming back. And one of the things we we don't do, unlike the Bahamas, and that's why I think I asked so many questions about, uh, you know, what was it like to leave your airplane in the Bahamas, Victoria, was the fact that we we do not want to leave our airplane there because even though during the day the airport is is actually secure, there's this huge cinder block fence that's all the way around the perimeter of the airport, and they really can't protect it at night. So when we got there, the gate agent said to us, listen, you really don't want to leave your airplane here uh, because it's probably going to be damaged by the time you get back here in the morning. I'm like, oh boy, now what do we do? So under, we said, oh, well, we'll just ferry the airplane out of here. And now, this is on Saturday. On Friday, we could have ferried the plane any time we would like because under the old rules, we were doing a Part 91 flight because we had no passengers, which is a ferry flight. Well, now with the new the 117 rules, we can't even do a ferry flight unless we have the proper rest. So we said, okay, that's fine. We'll go to Fort Lauderdale. That's not that far away. So uh, we planned for that. But by the time everything rolled, now we're in, it's just like island time in the Bahamas. <laughs> and by the time we planned it and by the time we got everything, all the manifests, it was, we timed out. We couldn't make it there. So now we've got a much smaller window. And we said, oh boy, you know, we, we've got to get out of here. So uh, we were able to uh, plan a flight from Port-au-Prince to San Juan. Uh, which was only about an hour and four minutes. And that was pretty darn cool. We were able to get out of there uh, on time uh, to be able to make it to, to San Juan. And what was really neat is that this, and if you got to really look at the island that there's a, uh, and look at Port-au-Prince. You're in that bay and you're in this valley. And we took off and we went down the valley towards the east, towards the Dominican Republic, and it's right there. It's not far at all. And there's these lakes that are just to the east of Port-au-Prince. It was just absolutely amazing to see everything. But but what was really amazing to me was when we crossed over to the Dominican, how things just changed. All of a sudden, there's vegetation. You know, there's, there's all sorts of trees, and, and it's much, much different. And on that note, you know, since what happens when you get rid of all the trees, it gets a lot hotter. Uh, down in, in Haiti, you have to, especially at the airport, we have to run our APU all the time, uh, you know, run our air conditioner all the time because of the fact it gets so hot down there. We left, uh, the, when I did my walk around, around the airplane, it was four degrees when I was in New York. When we landed at Port-au-Prince, it was 90 degrees. Talk about a huge, huge difference. Wow. Uh, so yeah, we actually it was it was just it was just phenomenal, and and you know it, <laughs> it just goes to show you what what effect uh, having no vegetation has on the environment. Um, and the other the other thing too that Captain was explaining to me is that all these hills uh, they're barren, and there's all these mudslides, and you see the remnants of mudslides. And he said, you know, there's no trees to drink the water and there's no trees to hold the soil. So when they have rain, it's just one big mudslide. And, and I guess the, the other thing to me that was shocking, and I've been to a lot of, you know, developing nations, is that it, it's it's the uh, the most dramatic of uh, a poverty that I've ever seen in my life. And I there's a difference between looking at it 
in pictures and actually being there. And uh, the one thing that's like seared into my, my brain is as we're landing, I look to the right and there's a road going into this little shanty town or big shanty town, I should say. And all along the road, there's a mass of humanity and they're all just people laying out there because they have no other place to go. I mean, they have these little huts and everything. So I, I think one of the, the biggest takeaways for me, I mean, I'm sitting there, it was like so surreal looking at those beautiful mountains and this incredible valley and and this this amazing you know terrain and then all of a sudden looking down at this massive humanity and squalor and I'm like wow this is just so beautiful and then I look down and I see this and you know I felt really bad for the people I was like gosh you know the you, you wish you could just, you know, hey, you know, I got my sandwich. Can I throw it out? You know, you're sitting there like, gosh, I wish I could give them something. Um, so that's another reason they, they have a lot of aid that runs down there. Um, but but going in as a general aviation pilot, uh, I have uh, don't know. I, I know people have done it during periods where they were uh, going down to assist in the aid process uh, with uh, with the hurt, uh, excuse me, the earthquake. Um, but I think it's a it's a little more challenging, and and I I'm pretty sure you don't want to keep your airplane there because during the period where they had a lot of uh, aid workers going in, if you ever seen the pictures, there's airplanes everywhere. The 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 United States actually secured the airport, but right now it really isn't secure. I mean, when you're taxing along, you see you see airplanes that are burnt out. You see airplanes that are just been torn to pieces and just hanging over on the side. It was it was it was quite interesting. I. You know, it's like out of the the movie Air America or something like that. But but with that said, there's you know there's a lot of airlines that that fly into Port-au-Prince. So I I I'm interesting. I'm interested to go back and take a take a look at it. But uh, it was a little bit uh, stressful just trying to sit there and figure out where are we going to go uh, because of the new rest rules. How are we going to get out of here? Um, and that's uh, that that was the challenge there. I mean, that, if that, if it, you get a chance, uh, I would I would definitely look it up on online. Carlos, yes. is that something that is your responsibility to figure out, or do you work in conjunction with the airline? You know, is, is there a dialogue going on, or is it your call because it's your plane? <laughs> no, it, there is a, there is a dialogue that that goes on, uh, but. Uh, we're making the suggestions. Uh, right. At that point, we're a charter flight. You know, we can't. We're not taking people, but um, they also have a computer program that runs because the rules are so complex mm-hmm. under FAR 117 that now you need a computer to figure out if you're legal or not. Oh. Um, our issue, though, was fairly simple. We just were running up against the 16-hour rule right. with me. Right. Uh, so that that's that was obvious. That was that was. So super you knew, yeah, simple. you knew when that the back but, end of that was, but you had but you <laughs> yeah. had to, you had to move the plane. Right, and yeah. we didn't. It, what's interesting though is we actually had to come up with the ideas as to what airports. We started thinking, oh, you know, Santiago, Santo Domingo. Uh, we're glad we went to San Juan because boy, we had a lot of fun in San Juan. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I, that was just a blast. I mean, we went out there, we watched the the, the uh, Eagles play, and. Uh, and went out and had you know hamburger and chicken wings and and there was a whole bunch of other people that are stuck there in San Juan so I got to visit with a lot of a lot of friends, uh, but just what's amazing it's amazing what an hour of flying will do. Uh, here we are in this really uh, under undeveloped underdeveloped uh, area of Haiti and over then we go over to San Juan and there's people on the beach and they're partying and and the, the cat and I looked at each other while we we're eating like my gosh you know. It, here, there's such a contrast, and and it it makes you appreciate more what you have when you do fly to one of those 
those places. And I will say one thing, um, you know, when I was partners in the in the 182, we actually uh, pulled our our airplane out of the hangar and stored stuff in there for for aid down to down to Haiti. But there there was there was such a, an outpouring of help in the general aviation community. I'm sure we saw this in the news, uh, but you still hear about it and people still talk about it. So it's just phenomenal. If you can find pictures online, like I was saying before, uh, take a look and see how many GA aircraft were down there on the ramp and how many people uh, flew down there in their corporate jets, et cetera, to help out these folks. It's just, just absolutely phenomenal. I'll, I'll have to get some pictures and, and, and maybe even put them online if I can to, to show what it's like there in Haiti. I didn't get too many. I was a little bit busy trying to – and it was a little stressful, to be honest with you, uh, trying to get out of there. So, uh, so I didn't have much time to take pictures and, and stuff like that. But people were super, super friendly. I mean, that, that's uh, – oh, and also, I didn't realize this, and probably everybody else knows this, but uh, they speak Creole and English, but I didn't realize they speak French also fluently. So – uh, even the people that we had on board uh, that spoke Creole to the customers, they we had other people, flight attendants that actually knew French and were able to speak to the people in French. So there's French, Creole, uh, English. Uh, so I, I thought that was quite interesting. I didn't know that the the French influence was was that large that they actually knew French very well down there. But Port-au-Prince, I you know I, we uh, what's his name over at. Uh, Oh, on uh, he does a the video uh, podcast, the one in Melbourne, Florida. He actually went. Uh, Dave Allen actually went down to Port-au-Prince uh, about about a year ago, and, and just has had a wonderful time there. So uh, he uh, helped out quite a bit. Uh, so it was kind of interesting. I'd like to hear hear about him. So, mm-hmm. but uh, actually, I guess uh, Victoria, you actually have some pictures. Yeah, um, Bob was there right after the earthquake, so he was staying at the airport for about a week. Oh, um, cool. living in a van, so he's got tons of pictures of all the aircraft that there was there, and um, I remember him calling me up, and there was tons of C-130s, and uh, they were very loud, so it was hard to hear him over the satellite phone, but yeah, it's, it was pretty devastating what happened there, and it was poor before, and the earthquake just made it worse, so... <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. you know it's it's interesting. They we actually um, there's an area there with some really nice hotels, and my buddy flies down there with a with a um, with an oil company, and uh, he said that it's just when he left the airport, just a, a mass of people came up to him, kids just wanting stuff. Like his the guy he was flying with actually had candy and stuff, and he would throw it out, and they would go run and pick it up, and and, and it was just. Uh, it's just odd just to see that happening, you know, because they just wanted anything they could get. Um, and this was during the times when there there was – this was before the earthquake. You know, it's been this way for a long, long time. Uh, but I'd love to see those pictures. You can actually see pictures too on the Air Force website. Uh, I think they took a bunch of pictures while they were down there. You can see all those C-17s. And But in the pictures, just imagine all those those planes and everything and nothing there. You know, all those planes are missing, and that's what – we were the only airplane on that airport when we were leaving. It was just it was just kind of odd, you know, being That's there. Pretty eerie. <laughs> it is pretty eerie. And but the neat thing about it was since we were the only ones there, we uh we it, there was such a commotion. Our operations usually files a flight plan, but we were able to actually call the controller and I said, Hey, can I file a flight plan with you? And the guy's like, sure. So we actually uh put the flight flight plan in that way. Um, obviously our dispatch put it into the system, but it didn't come through. So, uh, they had a lot, he wasn't doing anything else. And, you know, he was, he was handling the one airplane that was flying overhead and that was it. So uh, there's, there's not much going in and out of there, but it, 
But with that said, it's amazing how many airlines do fly in there. I think American has like three flights a day. Uh, you got Spirit, you got JetBlue, you've got uh, Delta Airlines. They all all are going in and out of Haiti, uh, back and forth. And um, but you know, I, I learned so much because the lady who was a gate agent worked in Washington D.C. I guess in uh, some consulate or whatever for Haiti, and and she uh, she just related so much inter- interesting information about the culture and and uh, and all the different things that they that have gone on over the years. So it was it was a history lesson for me. So I guess that was one of the positives about being there. I got I got I learned so much uh, going down there. So next time I go, I'll get more pictures though. More so pictures. Yes, more pictures. More so that pictures, was my experience in Haiti. Uh, and <laughs> but it, it's de- it's definitely different. It's uh, different kind of flying. It was it was extremely uh, stressful for us, you know, and, and especially for uh, for the flight attendants. They really didn't want to stay there. Um, and, uh, you know, cause you're a crew, you're in uniform, you're kind of a, a bit of a target. And, uh, but you know, as far as our safety, we didn't worry too much. It was just the safety of the airplane, you know, trying not to, to leave it there overnight. They have a tough time securing that airport and I can, I can see why. I mean, there's just so much room and there's so many, there's massive humanity right outside the airport. Um, and that can come in and, and uh, you know, they, they don't have anything. So they want to come in and try to see what they can find on the airplanes. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So, it was interesting going through customs on the way back. Though I will say that uh, there was, uh, they did do a lot of searching of the aircraft uh, once we once we got into San Juan and you know into the U.S. So that was that was kind of an interesting thing too. We it was funny. It was funny in one sense because we show up at the gate. And they're looking at us and like, hey, who are you? Where'd you come from? And we said, uh, Haiti. And they're like, no, really? <laughs> like, yeah, really. And, and that's that's how. This whole weather system affected the the country and also places in the Caribbean all over were affected by this this big polar vortex, as they're calling it, the big storm. It's just absolutely amazing how it affects everybody, like even that far away, especially in the Caribbean. It's just phenomenal. So you know, coming in from the Bahamas to Florida, we uh, we expected it to be pretty quick and simple just stamp the passports and look at the plane real quick but they actually had us unpack the whole entire plane and you bring all your luggage in and they want to look through it so we didn't experience that when coming back from canada but i guess from the islands and other places they want to double check make sure you didn't sneak in cuban cigars or anything like that yeah i mean they went through our garbage you have to unpack the whole plane (laughs) yeah oh definitely yeah any anything i mean they they actually they were going through our garbage bags they were going through everything uh just to see you know if there was anything in there you know obviously for the drug interdiction that type of thing um but uh the plane was actually uh, i guess quarantined for a little while so they could finish up all that and then uh, got it back online uh but that with that said there was another event that was going on this big storm that Boy, that was that was just amazing. I've never, I, I I was telling Len, I've slept almost all day today just to recover from that. I mean, every airline, every there's flight crews all over the place that have just been been working right up to the limit, and uh, the airlines have been canceling so many flights because of, uh, you know, obviously the new rest rules played a, a portion of that, and uh, and also the the storm. Uh, it was a, it was a big storm. It was cold. Uh, air there up at uh, Kennedy, which I fly out of, they was shut down like three or four times. Had an airplane slide into an uh, a snowbank. It was it was just just chaos. I mean, I haven't haven't seen it this bad in in a long long time. In a hurricane, I've seen it happen in a hurricane, 
that was the last time I've ever seen something where you're in an airport and there's just people everywhere and they can't get out and and there's just it's it's just a real it's a real mess for people trying to move there. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you talk to all the airlines, they're they're talking about even Thursday, Friday, and this happened on Saturday that that people won't get out of uh, of where they are till this Thursday or Friday. So. If you've got a GA aircraft, you don't have to deal with that. That's the beauty of being able to fly <laughs> to the Bahamas. I'm sure you guys would be able to get in and out of the Bahamas a lot easier than if you had an airline ticket. Well, so that's another reason to buy one. Our airplane was stuck in Upper Michigan for three weeks where they got 100 and plus inches of snow. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the downside of being being up north, I guess, too. Yeah, so there's a it downside and mm-hmm. an upside to everything, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you don't have to wait on those lines. Uh, no. And that was, you know, it was funny. I was thinking that during this whole thing. If I had my own airplane, I didn't have to wait in line at customs. Well, I'd have to do customs, but at a smaller location. Um, and I, I wouldn't have to, to, to deal with the terminal, the security, all this other stuff. It's, it would be so cool to just jump in your own airplane and fly. And I mean, that's what we're about here. It's Tuck Mike. I mean, it's, 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 it's experiencing that general aviation experience, which is so different than. Than flying for the air, with the airlines and this right here, the storm, it was indicative of that. that you know, if you wanted to go from Florida to New York, it would probably be easier in a small airplane than flying an airline this week, mm-hmm. just because of all the cancellations. And that that says a lot right there. And I know there's people, and I know you're listening. You listening, but you can, are shaking your head right now. That's true. That's why I have an airplane because I can get to so many different places. And I think, I, and that's that's why I love GA. Even though I, I work for the airlines, I love GA for that freedom that it gives us, and to move from point to point uh, with alacrity. You know, mm-hmm. without uh, without having to worry about going through the security, et cetera. And uh, and also the views. I mean, if you want to go look at something, you can. You know, and uh, you can't do that in an airliner. Yeah. Anyway, that was my experience in Haiti. I uh, I tell you, if you're gonna you're gonna try to get down there, I do a lot of planning, and uh, and you know, there's uh, if you want to go to those parts of the islands, there's the Dominican. Uh, they're very open to general aviation, Turks and Caicos is, uh, even Cuba. Uh, you can't you can go in. I have friends that fly into Cuba, GA, but uh, again, if you're gonna fly general aviation into Cuba, you usually have to bring some type of aid or an aid worker with you uh, because it has to be for humanitarian purposes if you can actually fly down there. But it's not impossible. I, mean, I have friends that do it. It's, it's pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, next time I, I go down there, I, I definitely will take pictures. But hopefully the next thing I want, I'm going to do, uh, um, hopefully in March starting, uh, I'll be flying to Cuba. So I'll have to yes, report, report yes. on that one. I, had, yeah. I was just uh, – I was actually thinking about that, that very um, – development uh the first uh flight from the u.s to cuba nearly 50 years was at the end of december there and uh that's exciting um yeah yeah that's, that's I, definitely exciting i fly over cuba all the time and it's it's beautiful i mean they're a huge island tons of vegetation gorgeous beaches uh we do three destinations in cuba um but it's it's such an it's such a neat looking island i can't wait to actually mm-hmm. fly down there and check it out you know yeah that'll be see. fascinating to hear about yeah, yeah, I understand from photos and articles and things that I've seen, it's kind of like a time capsule down there, you know, <laughs> from fifty some odd years ago. Um, I said that'll be pretty cool, but uh, you know, and all this, all this talk of airlines and things going on this week, I wanted to share one quick 
thing that I was reading. This just happened uh, within 24 hours of the time that we're actually recording the show. But um, it, at London Gatwick, a 737 continued landing despite instructions to go around. Um the story goes, I actually found this on avherald.com. Again, we'll have the uh, link to this specific article here in the show notes. But uh, the 737 was on approach to landing. They had not yet received their landing clearance because another aircraft was uh, taking the runway for departure, which is, uh, you know, it's not uncommon um, for uh, for a late landing clearance, especially at larger airports. But uh the 737 had descended through about 200 feet AGL when Tower began uh, reporting the winds and um, it had began to instruct the aircraft to land but stopped and said disregard, go around. However, the aircraft continued landing, rolled out safely and vacated the runway. Now, I'm not bringing this up for any reason, uh, you know, not not to Monday morning quarterback or question uh, the 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 flight crew and any any reason as to what happened or speculate, but simply a quick conversation of maybe the possibilities of why that could be a dangerous situation. If, uh, say, for instance, they heard and acknowledged and landed anyway. Um, based on uh, that interpretation, let we'll t- we'll talk real briefly on what would be some of the safety hazards there. You know, the first and foremost that I can think of is, especially flying into large airports um, in airliners, you've got multiple runways, and you know, air traffic control is obviously one part of the sequence, one part of the safety aspect to, to, you know, that provides pilots with services. And there's, there's oftentimes that they see things that uh, we as a pilot do not. So, you know, if you're instructed to go around and for whatever reason um, you ignore that or, you know, continue your approach, there's a potential that there's something going on that you don't see or you're not aware of. And, um, you know, in this particular instance, again, I'm not trying to speculate as to why they didn't go around, but just talking about, you know, some of the reasons as to why, you know, it would be unwise to continue your approach. And, that, you know, that's that's one reason. Carl, what's another reason you could think of that, that would be uh, dangerous to continue an, an approach to landing when advised otherwise? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, you know, I, I was told to go around because they had, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it was a uh, wild dogs on the runway. And, uh, you know, there was an unseen hazard. It really couldn't see it. And until we got down there, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's dogs out there. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you just you really can't see what you're about to hit, you know, and, and until you're in the flare. And that's going to do some damage to your mm-hmm. aircraft. Uh, but, you know, there, there's there's so many reasons why they'll tell you to go around. Maybe the, you can't get off the runway or there's someone behind you. You're going to you're going to leave because a lot of some of these airports, especially like airports that I go to, you, you can't get off the runway. You have to back taxi. There's no taxiway. So now right. you're going to screw it up for some guy behind you that's trying to fly in. Um, but if if it's an emergency, I can understand it. But uh, gosh, you know, that, I. They're, they have the, uh, a bigger picture there. If they're telling you to go around, you go around. And uh, I, I just, uh, I actually had that happen in Houston once. They told me to go around, and the guy I was flying with, he just kept pointing it towards the ground. Huh. And I'm like, dude, he told you to go around. He's like, well, I can see the guy in front of me. Why should I go around? 
I was like, because he told you so. <laughs> because I was told to. <laughs> you know? He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't want to go over. And I, I said, no, I, I understand. But and it doesn't make sense to me. But hey, I'm paid by the minute. Let's go around. Yeah, and uh, so he looked at me and laughed. So we did. We went around. So it was, it was just you. You actually have the problem with go arounds. And actually, actually, I just did a the whole seminar last night about the go arounds and and planning and loss of controls. The fact that. You know, you, you think you always are committed to landing. What you should be doing is commit yourself to go around and the landing should be a surprise. That's the way every single approach should be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, could, I mean, it's the same thing. There's, there's, there's two things in flying or two things in uh, taking off and landing. Uh, you know, the, the reverse being ex- expect an emergency or expect an engine failure on takeoff, but the takeoff should be a surprise. And the same thing, like you said, expect the go around on landing and the landing should be a surprise. You know, the go around and the engine failure on takeoff and the go around on landing should be what you're planning for. And when those don't happen, you can continue with the uh, successful portion of the flight, which is departing and landing. And I know that, you know, most of us, if not all of us, uh, would um, not intentionally violate instructions. But, you know, from the tower, which is obviously one repercussion, you know, you've now violated a um, a uh, um, a clearance. And uh, what, you know, the repercussions, I guess, are just larger in general. So from a safety standpoint, um, if you hear go around, just know that there could be something else going on that you're not aware of. And while uh, sometimes it may be inconvenient, it may be more costly, it may not be um, you know, the thing that you want to do, there's a reason for it. And plain and simple, it's pretty much just the best thing to obey that, uh, you know, especially it is, it is a, a command given to you by a, um, an air traffic control facility. So it's, it's probably the best idea is to obey that, go around, come back, and uh, you know the whole ten or fifteen minutes it might take you to fly the pattern and rejoin the approach to landing is uh, a lot less dangerous than the other repercussions that may occur. Like I said, when you're at a big airport, you might not see an airplane on a runway that's departing when there's just so much going on. I mean, Chicago, Atlanta, all these L.A., all these large airports, you just might be missing something going on. Another thing, wake turbulence. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we aren't necessarily aware of when we're airborne. So uh, just a quick excerpt that I wanted to share. Um, anything from uh, Rick or Victoria on, uh, on why it's a good idea to go around when instructed to. Well, I, you know, you yeah, you, uh, you know, you guys, I agree. I mean, you, you, the, 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 the better thing is to take the safe route always. And you don't always know everything that's going on. I suppose there are moments where as the um, PIC, you could make a decision you feel you have to make, you know, and I can't, I can come up with scenarios where, you need to land for some reason where right, you, you right. where you believe you can you don't see the risks and 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 to go around would be a problem in some way and and then you make that call and you have an argument for why you made that call but if it's just convenience like the 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 story Carl was telling us you know hey i, I can see it i got it made I, you know like i i need to get to the hotel whatever it is uh that's not a good reason but there are probably reasons why, and I'd love to hear more about that scenario that happened that you're that you're discussing just in the future, because it'd be interesting to know if uh, 
it was just a, hey, I got it made, didn't, didn't think there was a problem, or if there was a, we were so, you know, uh, where we where we were on approach was to a point where we needed to land. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I, that one in particular was because of a wake, you know, it, uh, the wake separation wasn't proper. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, we, we could barely see the guy in front of us and we never reported him in sight. And so if we didn't do that, he's got to give his separation. So he made us go around. It's not until we actually physically report him. But, you know, right. you, you brought up a great point, Rick. There are times when you have to tell them you can't go around, right. and that's that's. Uh, I've only had to do that once or twice, and say, "Hey, guys, just for planning purposes, we can't go around. So make sure you got enough room for us right. to land and not not go around. Might be for fuel. You may not have enough fuel to go around, et cetera. Right. Yeah, there's Hopefully plenty of situations. Well, you know, sometimes sometimes those things happen. Um, there's there's plenty of instances in an airline situation where you know you plan from point A to point B with so much fuel, and when uh, you know when something unexpected comes up holding or you know one of the I guess one of the things you never really plan for is a VFR day with the correct gas from point A to point B, no alternate airport, and the airport that you're going to closes for some reason. For instance, maybe there's a disabled aircraft on the runway, and you're like. Uh, crap. Now what do I do? You know, so there's, there's plenty of also, as Carl and Rick alluded to, plenty of reasons why you may decide to continue. Um, but you know, I just wanted to kind of exercise, uh, the idea of nobody knows why this, uh, these, this flight crew landed. Maybe there was a reason, but, uh, Victoria, you were sort of saying something. I'm not sure. I was saying, I think you guys cover it all. I mean, there's obviously a safety issue there. There's a reason the tower tells you to go around. Mm-hmm. They are not doing it just to piss you off or to keep themselves entertained. Um, one thing I was thinking of is, you know, the towers warned us before when there's like a herd of deer on the side of the runway and you don't know how those deer are going to react. And maybe they're waiting for the deer to clear or the birds or something like that. Right. So you you have no idea what's going on. And if they say it, it's for a pretty good reason. And I think you want to pretty immediately pitch up and go around. If they ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of uh, one of the biggest takeaways I've had and um, upgrading from first officer to captain and these decisions I still made as a general aviation pilot, but now I think I'm even a little bit more conservative is, you know, pilot in command of a larger aircraft with 50 or more people behind you. It's different than when you're pilot in command with yourself and your spouse and your dog. Now you still have the same regard and respect for your own life, but there are other factors involved. And I always, you know, I always look at the situation from a standpoint of safety and that is what is the lesser of two evils. And if it's more conservative to, go around or more conservative to spend 10 or 15 minutes on the ground extra to make sure that you're de-iced or that the computer, the, you know, the GPS is entered correctly. There's very, very little bad that will happen from erring, you know, erring on the side of caution nine out of 10 times, just making sure that for whatever reason, you know, you might just be having an off day or you might be confused and you might just need a couple extra minutes to sort through the mess. And that's just kind of one of the things that, you know, I've 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 taken a lot more respect for as pilot in command of a large uh, transport category aircraft is is making sure that you know I have all the information and I have the big picture and if there's any confusion, then I need to stop, ask a question, clarify, go around if I'm instructed, whatever the scenario is, and 
and you know sort through that so that I can make the best you know most well informed decision that I can. So you know, nevertheless, just an interesting story to sort of spur a quick conversation uh, about some of the hazards of why you should uh, you know should comply, and and as Rick and Carl mentioned, uh, some of the reasons why you may not be able to comply. Our picks of the week. Uh, with that story, we're going to move on into our picks of the week, and uh, we'll hear from Victoria. Tell us about your pick of the week. Well, I just went to the Bahamas, and I mentioned that we needed to have life vests aboard for safety. So um, I actually ended up borrowing them from a friend because, you know, why buy if you can borrow? So thank you to Lynn for letting me borrow her life vests. Um, what she had were pretty awesome. They were, since we have so little baggage area to carry things, and of course we didn't want this huge bulky life vest um, wearing it while we're flying over, obviously that's going to get away in the way of the stick and stuff. These probably went down to maybe like a foot long and just a couple inches thick, and they were inflatable life vests called the Rear Comfort Max Inflatable Life Vest, and there's this funny little yellow um, tug there and it says jerk. And if you need to use the life vest, all you have to do is jerk. And there you have it. <laughs> Voila. Voila. <laughs> Very simple. Plain and simple. What more can be said? Jerk. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I think I took a picture of, I think I, we, we were wearing those uh, when I flew with uh, John Wellington, um, over Lake Michigan to get to Oshkosh. We had, something like that on it was very light i mean very small yeah, non-encumbering very and i do remember, i think i took a picture of the word jerk so it was probably that same maybe, <laughs> or maybe maybe they're like best like that say jerk yeah i assumed it was just for us but perhaps they all say jerk mm. anyway just all. kidding <laughs> that was the the special model for yeah, you it was the jerks uh -huh. those are name tags I said angel but then <laughs> of course that's another pole, story so. <laughs> Cool. Well, very good. Uh, Rick, your pick of the week. Yeah. Um, if I, you know, <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I wanted to pick uh, four flights uh, upgrades, I, I would be rich. Uh, they upgrade that that uh, software so often. And the, the uh, But I want to bring up this new one because it's pretty cool. It just came out as we record this, I think, uh, Monday. Um, it's uh, the version 5.5. .5 Point one, and it's cool. It it basically adds animated in-flight ADS-B radar, um, an overlay if you've got a Stratus device uh, paired with um, either uh, iPad two or newer or iPhone four or newer, um, and it's just very cool. You get you get some. I, I my understanding of reading about it because I don't have that device, um, and you know it's very new. But um, the images they posted are very cool. So you've got your flight path. Uh, you know, flight information and then, you know, and, and a sectional or whatever below that. And then overlaying that is the, is the live, uh, very detailed, uh, radar from Stratus. So, um, very cool. And, uh, the, you know, the four flight folks just keep, uh, keep innovating. And I think it's great. And there is a question now in my mind, certainly of, of when they're going to port this over to Android because, there's just you know there's getting to be a lot of android out there and mm -hmm. i know it's hard it's not easy to do it's not automatic and it requires starting again maybe but i've got to believe they're going to be working on that so. most likely because i was just actually reading the other day that uh, the market share in android is uh surpassed uh surpassed iphone and ios uh, quite right. some time ago so there's 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 
there's definitely a reason for uh, for them to explore that option. But um, and and this ADSP, I should just say, is with the standard version of ForeFlight and the Pro. Uh, you know, but it's it's for everybody. But you you do have to have this piece of hardware, which is you know like more than five hundred bucks so, mm-hmm. for what yeah. it's worth. Right. Um, well, I wanted to share an item with me, kind of a uh, a fun in the pocket type of tool for pilots. Something my girlfriend actually told me about. Uh, funny story. She told it. She told me about this uh, this device, and I said, "Okay, email me the link." And um, she sneakily decided not to because she was going to buy one for me for Christmas. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I remembered that I never got the link from her, and I went online, and I uh, just like, oh. Look at this. I remember this cool thing. I'm going to buy one for my girlfriend. I'm going to buy one for me. I told my uh, brother-in-law about it. <laughs> sent it to my sister. My sister bought one for my brother-in-law and my and my father. And I was like, um, you know, I did send this to your husband. She's like, ah, crap. I hope he didn't buy one. So we show up on Christmas morning, and then we're all opening our presents, and five of these ended up showing up because <laughs> we all sort of ordered one for uh, each other slash ourselves. But the uh, the the multi-tool that I'm talking about is called the Pocket Monkey, and it is... Um, it's a metal multi-tool, the size and thickness of a credit card, and it has um, 12 intended functions. There are apparently a lot more that people have found some interesting uses for, but uh, the first and foremost most important of the 12 intended functions for pilots is the bottle opener, <laughs> um, which we all know uh, will come in very handy for, for us pilots. But uh, no, it does have a bottle opener. It has a phone kickstand, a flat screwdriver, a micro screwdriver, um, a door latch slip, a letter opener, a hex wrench, a Phillips screwdriver, an orange peeler, because, uh, you know, you're going to eat yeah. a lot of fruit in the flight deck, sure. um, a banana knicker, which, <laughs> okay, anyway, <laughs> um, a, a ruler, a straight edge, and as I mentioned, uh, those are just 12 of the intended, but... I thought it was a fun little item for pilots because it is a multi-tool yeah. and it has some interesting little things. It's very small, fits in your wallet. I actually have it in my wallet behind my credit yeah, card. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at it so we can describe it for people. It's 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 flat sheet metal. Mm-hmm. It's a flat yeah, flat sheet exactly. metal that is cut in a shape that loosely looks like a monkey yeah. sort of reclining, I guess. I don't know. He's, he's, yeah, he's <laughs> laying back like uh, Jabba the Hutt. Right, and it has <laughs> it has all this all these angles on it that it allow mm-hmm. it to do these things, and they're all marked, and it's very cool. Yeah, now the interesting huh. thing, like I said, it is the uh, as far as the dimensions about the size, the, uh, the rectangular size of a credit card and the thickness of a credit card. That being said, um, Rick, it yeah. is extremely sturdy. I mean, yeah. Putting the average amount of pressure on it, I cannot bend this metal. Wow. So it is not flimsy in any way, shape, or form. It goes for $12. Uh, it's available at zutilitytools.com. Um, and I actually believe it's a Massachusetts company, if I recall correctly, uh, Rick. But wow. um, it's a fun little item like that I like found. There's, there's hex wrenches. There's five sizes yeah. of hex mm-hmm. wrenches. That's, that's, that's incredible design, the way they've done that. Yeah, it's quite it's quite impressive. I mean, there's tons of multi tools out there, but I like things that are small and compact and useful. Like you know, fits in my wallet, and it's not uh, <laughs> it's not a Leatherman, but it's you know, it's got some functions. That's cool um, that you can use. So uh, yeah, okay. pretty ordering pretty one cool, today. Pretty cool little <laughs> item. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got an extra one. It turns out, uh, uh, well, you know, 
Maybe you could give it away to one of our loyal <laughs> listeners. <laughs> exactly. I should do that. I should do that. Uh, so the pocket monkey by zutilitytools.com. Uh, Carl, your pick of the week before we uh, wrap it up. You know, mine's, uh, it, it's almost like a utility tool. It's uh, something that everybody should have and, and keep with them and, and on, on all their flights. And, and that's the knowledge of holding patterns and, and, uh, and how to actually properly hold and, and how to deal with different situations. I tell you, I, I, there's a, a gentleman, Christian Pazella, who uh, wrote a book called Advanced Guide to Holding Patterns. We'll have a link to it on Stuck Mike Avcast. And he has done a great job of explaining the the nuances of holding. Uh, it's called the Advanced Guide, but actually, you know what? I think it's a great beginner's guide. It's a complete guide. It's something that if you're new to instrument flying, if you've been flying instruments for a long time, if you're an airline pilot, this is something you should grab. You know, if you buy this book, it's probably going to save you a lot of money and a lot of time on flight instructing because it, it's worth it's worth the price just for, you know, less than an hour of flight instructing. Read this book. It's 84 pages about holding patterns. I mean, that's a lot of discussion about holding. I mean, <laughs> oh. who, who can imagine that's all That's what I was going to say. What, what, <laughs> what could you talk what, about? But I'm intrigued. What could you talk about? And it's amazing. There's so much talking about what to do in emergencies, what to do in uh, different types of winds, how to properly hold, but also – he gives examples as to how not to hold. You know, we all see these these pictures of how to hold, what's what's improper, what's proper. It also talks about how to report. He goes over in detail all these different methodologies and of how to hold and when you should hold and the procedures for holding in route on approaches, uh, what to do if you've reached your clearance limit, how do you hold there, how do you hold using the old school uh, steam gauges, how do you hold using the new glass cockpits? How do you hold if you have a GPS? What if you have uh, two VORs and no DME? You know, the old school. He, he goes over every different type of hold, NDBs, and uh, even even mm. he has those in there, you know, NDB, still. So yeah. Remember those? Mm-hmm. He mentions those, and he talks a little bit about that uh, and homing, even though we aren't using those. But he does he does a, a, a real bang-up job, a wonderful job of, of explaining uh, in incredible detail, obviously, about holding it, and he talks about all the nuances. So, and he has the experience too. He's flown for the airlines. He's he's flight instructed for years, and uh, really sharp guy. Real real uh, real good book. Uh, I would suggest this of anybody who's interested uh, in flying uh, instruments uh, or has been flying instruments for a long time. I make you bet you'll learn something. So it's the advanced guide to holding patterns, and we'll have a link to it at Stuck Mike Avcast. The after landing checklist. Most excellent. So that wraps up the show uh, for today. Of course, links and show notes for everything mentioned on this episode are available at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 64. That's the number 64. When you get there, don't forget to like, tweet, and share the show. Help us uh, spread the love, find new listeners, and uh, all that good stuff. Plus, you can leave us a comment on the blog because you know how much we love hearing from you. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can support the Stuck Mike Avcast by visiting our sponsors and affiliates listed on the website. 
As always, if you do have any questions, comments, or even future show ideas, you can reach us by visiting stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. From there, you can send us an email. You can call us and leave us a voicemail. You can write us snail mail. I keep teasing, but nobody has sent me any letters to my to my mailbox. Um, you can even reach each one of us, uh, each one of the co-hosts, directly from the contact information listed on there. A very special thank you to our sponsors, Aviation Universe, for so graciously supporting this podcast. From myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Sean Moody with bronchitis, Mr. Rick Felty, and Miss Victoria Zyko, thanks for tuning in to episode number 64 of the Stuck My Cavcast. And until next time, fly smart and fly safe. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast, a Len Costa production.